This podcast is brought to you by The Business Habitat, a 12-month development program for expert business leaders looking to escape the hamster wheel and grow their businesses to scale. So here's the question. In our expert professional services businesses, where the rules were written last century and the world keeps changing around us, how do we as experts who have spent years, sometimes decades, getting our technical skills to the ultimate level, the proportionally little time learning the ones required to grow our businesses based on our own terms, rewrite these rules for ourselves? I'm Sandine, and this podcast, Business Habitat, explores the answers to these questions. Well, today I have Avon Collis here. Avon, welcome. And can you just give us a quick rundown of yourself and your business and how you come to be here? Hi, uh, Samantha. Thank you very much for uh, having me. I, I, I'm a consultant at uh, Relevate. I work in CRM and marketing automation. I help people to build customer management systems or CRM systems to enable them to have better communications at scale. So you can still have those personalized one-to-one interactions, but in a larger company when, or, or even a smaller company that's trying to break past that ceiling, you know, you can't have those one-to-one engagements all of the time. You can't sit there for an hour with the client and then transplant your brain into somebody else. You've got to have something in the middle to allow people to share that. Cool. Yeah, client relationship management systems are, are such an intriguing thing for me. They are something that honestly, when I was really working to start shifting from a very expert-based style of business, and I, I think that as coming from the professional services backgrounds, we think that the, our client relationship management starts when the job starts. And you know, a lot of the communication and the conversation is very much had around the processing of the job and where that's at, or whether that be a technical piece of advice or some kind of compliance, for instance, if you're in the tax business, whatever that may be, the technology and all the communication with the client is definitely based on around what, what we did rather than what they wanted. And as I kind of grew and I heard about these things called CRMs and everyone said you had to have one. And I realized that the issue was, is that I didn't know what that meant. Like customer relationship management, I thought I had great customer relations and that I could manage them, but what it it's 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 so far it's so bigger than so much bigger than that. And I think too, when I've worked with CRM companies previously as well, is that they kind of only did the customer relationship management to the point where I was at, where is the start of the job. But what you're talking about is actually going from any communication outside business all the way through. Is that what my understanding of what you think client relationship management systems do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the customer today, you know, they expect a seamless handover between pre-sales to post-sales. They expect that they're not going to provide you with a piece of information more than once. You know, they don't want to be bugged five times uh, to get that one piece of information. So ideally, you know, that first interaction when you've said, hello, what's your name, what's your email, what's your phone, Mm -hmm. you've got those, you don't need them to collect them again. But then you might do things like, what's your favorite coffee? So when they come into the to the boardroom and sit down, you, you know, someone else can walk in with their favorite coffee, plant it down in front of them, and that customer experience starts to really kick in. But then further down the track, you know, maybe early on they mentioned opportunity for something or one or two 
things that could be related to your products or services that might be future things. So they've expressed an interest or maybe they've started talking about what they want and you've started to shore up an idea of what you're going to do for them. In that handover to the, to, to the delivery team, they now have that visibility on those pre-front-end conversations on perhaps what was talked about, what was discussed. And so instead of having someone come in and, and just solving problem A, you can look at account growth, you can look at expansion and, and solving problem B or C. So now we're not looking at creating a customer for that job. We're looking at creating a customer for life. Yeah. And people who have been customers are 16 times more likely to buy from you again and something like or eight times cheaper to market to. So it's almost better to build your business from the inside out with a deep knowledge of the customer than it is to go hunting constantly for leads. My name is not lead. Um, you can't find me on Facebook lead ads. I won't fill one out. Um, so you really want to build those relationships and get people talking about you at barbecues. I think that's so important too. And also another thing that I found was a superpower of it too, because we had, you know, way back in the day I had established, you know, with the tax is people would often say something like, oh, I've got a friend or I've got someone I'd like to follow up with. And we were able to start using the client relationship management to actually then follow up those kind of referrals because people do want to refer, but they don't have the system to follow up and remind as well. And I think that that's so powerful. I think one of my biggest frustrations when I was trying to really shift from a very traditional style of professional services firms into morphing into where we are today is that the people who were providing software into our, I'm going to talk specifically about the accounting industry here. And I think from, you know, the clients that I have now in all sorts of different professional services, it's very similar, is that they were very much product-based and they kind of added CRM onto different areas. But what they also were, they had no, I think, even intention to bring the whole database as used together. I think one of the biggest frustrations still, and I can't believe we're still talking about this in 2021, is that you have to put in data more than once. Even people's names and emails and, and telephone numbers, like some will go off the email, some will go off the telephone numbers. And we're still working with quite large firms even today that that doesn't kind of integrate. And I've always been the belief if you follow the big software companies, Microsoft, um, Salesforce and, and those sort of ones and get some kind of base around them, then you can build and add the product ones back on later. What, what are your thoughts on this? I know that you really focus on Salesforce, but you work on a lot. But um, what are your thoughts on this kind of, and when you start working with businesses, do you see that mash patch of databases or am I just still talking through my hat? No, that you're absolutely right. They basically uh, run their business with uh, duct tape and super glue. So, you know, you've got a front end uh, or, or maybe no front end system and maybe five back end systems. And you're talking about professional services in particular. Once you enter the realm of professional service automation, bolting that with CRM can be really powerful. And you mentioned, you know, entering a name three or four or five times into a range of systems. So what happens now if um, you've got, uh, you know, perhaps a, a young female customer comes in and she's Mrs. Uh, Smith. And then, uh, so she starts the engagement and then six months later gets divorced and is no longer Mrs. Smith. And you start addressing her. You're going to well up some emotions that are now negative emotions 
that you shouldn't that you as a company are now insensitive for having reached out with this irrelevant information or, or incorrect information. So being able to, and even just from an efficiency operational side, you may have been talking about certain things in the proposal stage. You know, I think we want this, I think we want that. You've then got to go and put that into a system somewhere else. But if that proposal was generated in the CRM side and then you get to close one, you click a button, it turns into a project. There is no then manual labor to go and enter that into a system. So you've saved yourself on the back end. You also saved yourself in someone having to manually type potentially or the 30 hours of report manual report writing of bringing in five different platforms into one. And now you've got a dashboard that's a live refresh when you click a button and it's and it's the latest down to the minute. Yeah. It's, I, the dashboard thing always amuses me because um, another thing that happens particularly in the advisory areas is that we have a whole lot of software companies telling us what to do and, and what products we should actually get, like whether it be advisory or run these dashboards on, you know, their financial stuff and everything. Whereas we as the businesses don't or don't even help them run the most important dashboard, which is something like 65 to 85% of most businesses time, money and effort is spent on client acquisition. And so none of the, the dashboards that we have traditionally in the more the financial advice areas really connect that into their financial data. And what I'm hearing with Salesforce, and because one of the most important things for us when we build new business habitats is we want to measure the strategy, the client engagement, everything all the way through to the financial statements and then have that really easily integrated. Of course, we're not there yet, but we, we, you know, even talking to people like yourself is that we can actually develop this going forward. What are your thoughts on that, on people? Have you seen a lot of people successfully use the financial statement dashboards with the CRM dashboards? Are you actually seeing businesses successfully use them or is it something that people like to have, but they don't, they don't quite still understand the, the power of them? Um, there's, there's a bit of both. And, and I'll address a, a, another comment you made there about vendors. Um, and, and you're mentioning Salesforce. And so we use Salesforce. We also use Zoho, um, working towards an SAP certification and a, a range of other those smaller platforms. And I think at the end of the day, if you look at the incentivization of these groups, the, the, ideally the salesperson at the software company, it doesn't matter what's good for your company. All that matters is the commission that they're likely to receive at the end of the day. So of course their platform is always going to be right for you. But I think there's a very broad mix you need to look at. You need to look at where the company is going strategically over the next three to five years. You need to look at what quality of data do they have? Could they have? Do they need? What are the, the skills or the likelihood that the users, that user base could skill up and evolve into using that technology? Then once all of those things are in place, then the reports can kick in, but that's generally later once data's in there and it's flowing and it's starting to move. I think, yes, there is a bit of shiny object syndrome is I have dashboards. People say, I want to have a visibility on X, but if you're not, you need to enforce that the one, you need to have home for the data, Two, you need to enforce that the data is collected or where possible, try to get it automatically collected, like number of visits to your website or emails or activities or whatever. And then you need to have that culture of work where people are in using the system. So I find now that by make, you don't want to make it an island. It's, a, it's something over there that people have to go and update. It won't happen. 
if you make it central to the everyday part of work and that's where people see and feel value, then they will start to adopt and use it. And now that um, you start to reach a critical mass and it becomes the only means through which you can communicate in a large firm like the ones you're talking about, maybe the people in the back office are never going to meet the customer face to face, but occasionally they've got to pick up the phone and they've got to say, hey, I can see the last person you spoke to was Samantha about this. I now have a question about that. And um, by the way, how's your dog's broken leg? Is it healed up yet? So you've got such a deep personal relationship with the company as this umbrella of an organization made up of lots of little people rather than one-to-one relationship with that salesperson or that consultant or that person in the business or the owner. I think that's a really good point. And one of our major strategies in life at Blueprint HQ, it's my particular passion is to reduce owner dependency. So reduce expert dependency. And I think the power of the CRM systems to actually do that, I think was just illustrated, everyone listening, by Avon then, is that if you can do that, you can start to really trust your staff and everybody else to actually have some of that IP. I know when I was originally starting to do this and I had a lot of relationship knowledge in my heads with my clients, I was not, sometimes I couldn't even fill out my timesheets. So when I was started, I, I was actually introducing the CRM systems because I actually understood the power of it. But then getting the discipline to actually do it at first was really hard. And I had to put a whole lot of KPIs around myself and accountability meetings with my staff to really get the benefit. I can't even think of doing anything else anymore. The value of it is incredible. The time that is saved is incredible because everyone I start working this sort of work with says, well, it's taking too much time. And I'm going, well, forever. I mean, I don't know what the stat would be. It would be interesting to have a look at how much time you save by spending 10 minutes after a meeting capturing everything in a CRM system or even five minutes. I'm going to predict it's a 10 timer at least, you know, later on when the relationships are building. You're, you're not far off. And, you know, the, the, the system is going to be the best assistant manager you are ever going to have. Yep. You can bake your rules into it. You can require that certain information is collected early on. For example, making sure that you have the, the four qualifica- key qualification steps, which is budget, authority to make decision, need, and timeline. If they don't have those four things, you're talking to the wrong person. So just allowing you to qualify things in to prioritize work to score the likelihood of that client being worthwhile for your business just as much as you being worthwhile for them. And also by slowing down to speed up, you'll find that the direct benefits are probably only 10% of what you'll get out of the CRM, the indirect benefits of that management control, that communication, that knowledge sharing is is probably the, the lion's share. And the stats are that people, uh, for every dollar spent on CRM, you get an $8.35 return for for those dollars spent. So the, the next, well, I suppose the next yeah. consideration from a, a professional's perspective is I often get approached by business sales uh, professionals, people who are uh, business brokers, and they basically cannot sell business X because it's all in the owner's head. Um, They've come to me and said, this person wants to sell, but they know all the suppliers. They're the only one that knows all the customers. They know where all the stuff is kept. And there is absolutely no way to transfer. And this business is worth nothing. 
Yes, they might turn over X amount every month, but it's worthless to someone else. All they're going to do is buy, you know, for that business with stock at valuation, which is well below what you know it could be worth. Yeah. I, I so agree with that. And I think this is one of the ways, you know, as we go forward, I know a lot of businesses, a lot of professional services business, that's just the way that it is. And particularly ones that aren't necessarily like tax accounting, where it's compliant based, you know, having that knowledge and being able to actually get goodwill into some of the expert businesses is through these systems. So you can actually easily, I think not just from the experts, but for any, if you have an office manager who leaves or a, there's always some kind of human dependence on there that this can start to decrease. But, you know, th- I think back to what you said before is to looking at the skill set of people. So even if you listen to this and go, oh, yes, I need a CRM system, that is not the solution. <laughs> it is part of the solution, bringing people up on skills and then or really understanding what you want and then and bringing someone like Avon in to say, okay, well, what do you actually need? You need to actually understand what you at least want the result to look like, you know, coming up for it. For me, it's something that I've been developing over a lot of time. And can I just say to everybody, I've had a couple of conversations now with Avon and I thought we were pretty slick, but I think we can get even slicker. We're, we're looking at bringing more people on. I think one of those people can actually be replaced by, well, not replaced, we haven't put them on yet, but I think that on our, when we're looking at capacity and everything, it can be replaced by really well speaking technology. And yes, we'll have to go through a little bit of pain and time to, you know, make sure that that's all linked. But um, I'm learning more and more just how much these things can um, pick up, but how it's not just a drop and play <laughs> um, kind of thing, which I think is as we use more and more free stuff, we think it is, but it's where, where we actually go to. Can I just ask you a question? Where did the name Relevate come from? Um, it's a Latin word. It means uh, to lift, to raise, to lighten. So that's the, you know, kind of goes in, in we want to create calm and, and control for people. So we're using, um, you know, we, we sort of sat down and brainstormed a good name and and the idea was that we want to create that, that sense of, for the business owner, they're not the only one that can make decisions. They're not the only one that has to what stand behind every employee, watch exactly what they're doing and making sure everything's on time. You know, they can kind of take a step back, look at the big picture and just breathe a sigh of relief. Wow. That's an amazing branding effort, amazing name name effort. And I love how it just really hits your vision and actually what, what we were just actually talking about as well. I mean, because I think that's what we all got to build our business habitats to be is to be not reliant on one particular person and one particular part of it but also, you know, really look at the customer being the central part of it and that their journey. One more thing I wanted to touch on before we go is really, um, and one I think that's really important when you're setting up any kind of customer relation, whether it's through behavior or through system or best practice combination of both, is how you actually get what the client wants and talking to the client in their own language. Um, I've heard you say something like that in our previous calls. And I, I just wanted to explore that a bit with you now too. Um, yeah, I think we, we went through an example of, you know, that sometimes the professional is too close to the problem. You need to, to look for signs. You need yeah. to feel the pulse like a doctor would. They don't go, is, do you have a uh, torsion in your uh, fibia proximal head? No, they say, do you got a sore leg? 
you know, the, the language that you use, the, the language that the customer uses, it can be two different things. And quite often the customer doesn't know the solution. They know the outcome that they want. So they're going to say things like, I want to be able to, or wouldn't it be nice if, and I think that's, you know, we always talk in, in a, that sort of software industry of user stories. So the user story is perhaps for a, an accounts professional is I want to be able to have my taxes sorted in half the time, or it's a big burden. I want someone else to do it or something like that. And so you, the, uh, as the professional, you can come in and, and, you know, diagnose and prescribe whatever it is that you want to, for that person to have to end up with that end result solution. You might say, by the way, did you notice this also might be useful for you? But sometimes it's about bringing your language down to where the client is. Now, you need to obviously strike the balance there, but probably more in your marketing language, not down necessarily, but speaking the client language, do your target market analysis, understand who they are. Like granted, if you're talking to, uh, to do financials for Instagram brand reps, it's going to be very different to if you're doing financials for lawyers. So you need to make sure that it hits the mark, that it is in their language, and perhaps even run your script or whatever you say through a rate readability score in Microsoft Word. You can Google it, and um, and it'll tell you, you know, this is at a academic reading uh, level or it's at a year ten level. I'd say the year ten level is the target. If you can get to that, then you've got something that's readable. That's a great tool. Thank you. That's a great tool, and I forgot that I use that one all the time too. Is that is even us? I think both of us would probably still be guilty of going a little bit technical and we've got to really bring it down. We used to always use a, um, if you could explain something on tax or 7A to our amazing receptionists, that was, we didn't have the score, the editor scorecard at that point, but that's, and I think that's so important. And I think when you also evoke CRM systems, because then you are actually writing content and stuff and you want to make sure that you don't have to rewrite it later on, it's something to really all check into. You know, if I go back to what Philippe said in a couple of episodes ago about the expert paradox, we know what other, like the, the, what the expert value is, but our clients don't. So we need to be able to actually communicate that in ways that they understand our value. Um, and if you don't communicate that and spend time and then spend time continually doing that throughout the process of working with them, they won't see the value like we do. I think a lot of times uh, people want to automate. They go, oh, automation, great. I'm going to get a computer to do all of my work. Yeah. But sometimes it's not. Like in a process, you might have a bit at the start, a bit in the middle, somewhere, something near the end. So you're cutting down and you're reducing. And like you're saying, you know, with that Div 7A um, uh, solution, um, which, you know, is a technical way to say you can't take too much money out of your company, otherwise it owns you, owes you a loan and it's big, big trouble, technically speaking. So you could write an article or a snippet or something pre-written that explains that, that everyone in the company can then use. So then they can go and grab that snippet, place it in that email, and it's already been dumbed down. That person doesn't have to spend 15 minutes writing what Div7A is. They don't, and it might be corporate approved, so it's signed off for, for reliability in, in, in fact. As, a, as an example. I think that's a great tip too, because one of the challenges is, and I've certainly had to develop my muscle over the years and now it's a really good muscle, but early on is that 
how do I take this complex matter and turn it simple? And that spent hours on it. Whereas if you just had had the script there for it and you could explain it, I think too, we've got to get over our expert egos in that as well. And I think too, our clients always nod and say they agree. So there has to be some kind of test, some kind of asking the clients what they actually want. And I know that you're, you've kind of got a bit of procedure for doing this as well is to sort of actually ask clients what they want to hear as opposed to um, just taking it for granted that we know what they want. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to shape your uh, presentation and, you know, the more you tell them what they want to know, as in not what they want to hear, but understand what it is that they're curious about or they don't have they have an information gap and if you solve provide three to four pieces of content that um, help solve the uh, the customer problem or you know close those knowledge gaps then you're 60 percent more likely to win the job so being that knowledge expert along the way that's helped them to that decision making uh, perspective means that you don't become a, you're like, if they're trying to evaluate two or three accountants against you, um, it's not a question of who they're going to work with, just when. So you, and, and, and through that CRM uh, side of things, you know, I've had someone who has closed business with me 18 months later, and they basically said, you were, uh, had helped us, you gave us information, um, we weren't ready then, we're ready now, let's do it. And it turned out to be quite a large project. But I didn't have to go hunting for that work. Every interaction is valuable. Um, sometimes in, in learning that it's not valuable, but every interaction is valuable and understanding who's not good for your business is just as important as understanding who is good for your business. So, you know, I went, I had a, a, a webinar and I started at the very start before telling them anything, uh, before presupposing anything, I used a spreadsheet, Google, uh, Google Drive sheet, I put the link in, I had some questions along the top, let them pick a row, put their answers in, you know, for example, what's the hardest thing about digital transformation? Or, um, you know, where do you host your website and why? And that has helped me shape um, a whole nother topic on it or a whole nother, you know, hour long talk on things that I didn't know that they didn't know. Well, I could now put my conversation in their words so that they can understand it. Um, and, and, then, and then it's going to resonate deeper and it'll hit the mark harder. And then like I've had conversations with people and they're saying, I've got a lot of these fields that I need to fill out, but they're really complex. I'm like, great, you can do a screen flow, you can do run an automation script. And in my mind, I'm like, well, no, no kidding. You know, that's exactly what you do. But then I had to have someone else with me to dumb it down a little further and say, it's like a form and there's checkboxes and you go step by step by step. And then they got it. And I didn't realize that I had become too technical. So I'm laughing. I've had to have the interpreter too. <laughs> yeah. And you, you'll, it's good to have that, you know, just, just realize that it's, that other people don't know what you know and they'll probably take them a long time to catch up. So help them catch up, provide the info, and you'll find that you'll be uh, – streets ahead of everyone else. That's fantastic. Jeez, we've covered off. I, I just love what you said about the actual, you know, bringing, actually having a, a sales call, if you like, 18 months ago and then it was when they were ready. And um, one of my favourite quotes, and I can't quite remember, but I'll put it in the show notes who, who it comes from, but you've got to build your product for when your client is ready, not when you're ready. And you've got to also build, yeah, your marketing for when your client 
is ready, not you. And that's that's why you have to have CRM. That's why you have to have this constant communication, whether automated or physical, um, with your clients because you have to build your business around when they're ready, not when you are. And I think that that's so valuable, what you just said. So anyhow, we might wrap this up. We could obviously talk forever um, and we might talk again too soon. But let's, how can people get to know you um, a little bit more? Where do they go to? And, you know, do you have anything that they could um, quickly jump on now and, and get some more information about your valuable services? Um, yeah, sure. You can go to relevate.com.au. So it's like elevate with an R in front, R-E-L-E-V-A-T-E. And if you like, you can do the, on, on the end of that, go slash Avon Collis, no spaces or dashes. And uh, that's my personal page. You can find out a bit more about me. I do have a book, uh, The Business Octopus. I've got a podcast, also The Business Octopus. And it's about giving your business a brain and teach it to grow itself. So putting the information in the middle where everyone can access. So if you, if you imagine an octopus, it's got a tentacle on your emails, it's got a tentacle on the brain of your salesperson's head, one on your phone, data everywhere and just growing and feeding off that information. So yeah, that's me. Fantastic. Hop on board and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And everybody else out there, as usual, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. We work super hard on bridging the gap between our expertise and our CEO skills to create more money and time in your everyday to create change. If this sounds like something that you would like to have a further conversation with, jump on blueprinthq.com.au and book a free consultation so we can continue the conversation. As always, be brave.